If you would all stand with me as we read this morning's scripture passage, it can be found in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 5, verse 10. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. All right. If you've got your Bibles uh, open, please keep them open to that passage. We're going to be in that uh, today. And this is in a series that we're in in the book of Hebrews called Another in the Fire. And we've been, this is basically our summer series where we're kind of doing a survey of this book. And and the, the thing that we see in this book throughout is this perspective of the author He's talking to a group of Hebrew Christians. These are people who grew up in Judaism. They love Judaism. They don't see a whole lot of issues with Judaism. In fact, Judaism and and a real seriousness of the Old Testament led them to the reality that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. So this is a massively big part of their whole faith system. And all of a sudden, now that Jesus is on the scene, it feels like they're having to dismantle things that they've grown accustomed to. There's a loss there. Okay, I mean, they're like, they're losing things that they felt like that was part of what helped my belief and part of who I am as a believer. And there was a tendency to start to like distance themselves from Jesus. Kind of like, look, I totally believe in Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. I'm not putting Jesus down, but can we just at least keep Moses on the scene? Can we keep, at least keep Joshua as a key part of our, our rearview mirror of our faith? Can we keep some of the customs still going? Because those are part of my on-ramp to faith that I had with Jesus. And as we've been going through that whole thing, we realize that, that, that the author is continuing going, no, he's actually, Jesus is greater than, and we're, we're talking about this week, the fact that Jesus is greater than your pastor. And that's something, you laugh, it's true. Um, Jesus, uh, he goes through and talking about how Jesus is greater than Moses and Joshua and all these other people. And then he spends this ginormous section in the heart of the book talking about how Jesus is greater than the high priest, the person that's acting as the spiritual director for the people. And, and we're going to be looking at parallels to that. And so what we're going to do is first off, start off with the very first thing that Birgit read. 
that, that beginning part of chapter 4, verse 14, it sits on the shoulders of the fact that everything before this is talking about how Jesus is greater than some of the biggest historical parts of our movement. And, and lastly, the fact that Joshua, man, Joshua brought us in to the promised land. That's amazing. That's awesome. We had a country of our own, but there's a better country. We get to that like later on in the book, but he's like, there's a better country. And the person who's brought you into that is Jesus, a better rest, a better Sabbath rest. And so then on that, he says, therefore, since we have, he, he turns it, instead of just being a political or, or, or military leader that, that Jesus is greater than any of the past stuff, he's going super religious on this, since we have such a great high priest. Now, how many of us grew up as Catholics? Okay, all right. So when you see priest, just the word alone, priest, it's not something that's super jarring because, I mean, that's something that you, you understand. When I think of, not high priest, but when I think of priest, I think of my friend at St. Mary's, Father Tuan, one of the coolest guys you're ever going to meet in Manuka. Um, he still owes me coffee, but we're, we're okay. And he, Father Tuan is, is an awesome, awesome man. So when I think of priest, I'm thinking of the caller. I'm thinking someone who's in the Roman Catholic Church. That's, what, that's my mind frame when it comes to priest. But when I think of high priest... Again, I didn't grow up in the Catholic Church, so a high priest is like, I don't know, that's like culty, it's like weird, it's like da-da-da-da, you know, it's like this guy from Indiana Jones, like that guy is high priest, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> but when you see in the Old Testament, it's absolutely, totally flip of that. It's um, this person that's appointed, it's an appointed person by God, it, it, there's like a, a lineage, a family lineage that's placed him in the ability to qualify to be a priest, and so being a priest alone is a big deal. High priest is even more significant because you are in charge of that whole process. The whole process that, that, again, Jews held so significant and so dear. Because every Jew understands that from the beginning of their story, it starts with the fact that there's this good God who loves us, who desperately loves us, but we have a problem. In the midst of the fact that he created us, he created us in his image, and he created us in love, we have rebelled against him. We've broken that. And because we've broken that faith, we've got this divide between us. That we can't possibly get to God. There's no way that we could be religious enough to get to God or, or holy enough to be for God because we, we've already broken that holiness. And the Hebrew accounting is that instead of God kicking humanity to the curb, he provides a way back. And one of the first things that we see Moses doing from Mount Sinai is giving this people this most incredible loving account which is the book of Leviticus. And if you've ever read Leviticus, you don't think love. You think this is gross. It's like bloody and sacrifice and it's weird. It's odd. But, but that, that what, what you're dealing with is with a people group who understand, every human understands that there's a break between me and some creator or force or being. And there's something I've done that I'm responsible for, but I don't know what to do to make things right. And so people do whatever they can to make things right. They'll sacrifice animals. And if the crops are still bad, they'll sacrifice maybe their own blood. They'll like shed blood for their deities. And if that doesn't work, then maybe they'll sacrifice their own children. Because the gods are angry. And we must make the gods happy. And the one true God says, no. There's not this ambiguity about how to reconnect with me. Yes, there is a cost between us and God. But I love you so much, I don't want the cost to be you. 
And so you would have this, this, this system of getting people connected to God where their sins would be covered over. And the person that was officiating that was this guy, the high priest. And he was someone that, I mean, again, the book of Leviticus gets so, I mean, all throughout the scriptures that are speaking about this process, get down to the detail about the, the garment that he's wearing, the fabric it's made of, everything is like nailed down so the people know this is legit. If I am in a situation where I like, I'm just a total jerk to my spouse or, or, or there's an adulterous affair that takes place or, or I'm totally disrespectful to my parents or I cheat on my taxes or something like that, then there would be a prescribed way to know like, look, I've broken faith with the one true God. I got to get back. This is what I need to do. And they would bring some type of sacrifice, animal or wine or what have you. And then the priests would be the go-between between people, humanity and God. The priest wasn't God, but he was the go-between. He was acting on behalf. When the sacrifice was made, he would put his hand on the sacrifice and it would be identifying this innocent animal with the sins of that guilty human being, that this animal is taking the place of that person's death and distance from God. And so the people walking away would know, hey, I hate that that happened. I hate that that happened. But at the same time, I feel so good because I know that as far as God's eyes, my sin's covered over. Except, what if I've done stuff that I didn't even know was sin, but it was sin? What if I've gone off the rails with me and God and like something's, what about those? That's where this guy's position became so incredibly imperative because on one day of the year, Yom Kippur, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He was going through all of the divisions that are separating people out from the holiest place in the tabernacle and then ultimately in the temple. And he would provide in the Holy of Holies behind the veil. He goes behind the veil and goes to the place that no one else goes to except for once a year to provide the sacrifice for the people he loves, for the Hebrew people that he cares about, that he he weeps over, that he cries over. And he knows that there's sins that they're they're doing that they don't even know are sin because they're they're just ignorant. And then there's things that that, that are happening that they've done that maybe they didn't make a sacrifice for. So this sacrifice is a once and for all sacrifice that they know that this year, between them and God, they are cleansed. Their sins are atoned for. And that, you can see why this guy is such a big deal. That guy, like, seriously, my conscience is clear because God has helped me out with this guy. This guy was the guy that provided a sacrifice. Even for things I didn't sacrifice for, he sacrificed on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. So now I know, boom, we're good. Big deal. And then all of a sudden comes Jesus. And all of a sudden you see that role, that office eliminated. And so you can understand why from a Jewish perspective, I feel lost with regard to this. And the author of Hebrews is like, no, there's no loss. There's upgrade. Because you still have a distance between you and God. But that distance was satisfied by Jesus. Jesus is now the go-between. And that's way better than a dude. And here's why. Because when Jesus did what he did, all of a sudden, now you have access to God that uh, that a human being could not possibly give you. Jesus is now the, the high priest because he's not simply a priest that's bringing a sacrifice to God. He is God bringing the sacrifice and the sacrifice is himself. He's not simply someone who's bringing the blood of an innocent animal before God. He is God bringing his own innocent blood to be sacrificed for the people he loves that he cries over, that he wants to see redeemed and atoned. The sacrifice is the high priest in this equation and is way better than anything that any priest 
or pastor or spiritual leader could ever provide. Now, the reason that the author of Hebrews has to come back to this is because in spite of believing that, as human beings, we have a propensity to come back to still subbing out Jesus and putting in some spiritual leader in his place as the way to God, the way for us to get to God, the way for us to pray to God, etc. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend two weeks, because again, the author of Hebrews, he goes through chapters, chapters batting home that concept. Jesus is the high priest. He's way better than any priest that you could possibly have that's just a human. All man and all God is way better than just all man. And so because of that, we're going to take two weeks. And first, this week, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is greater than your pastor, better than me or any other pastor you've had or any other pastor you'll have in the future. And we're going to talk about why that is. Why is Jesus greater? Because of what he can do that I can't do. Next week, we're going to talk about the negative side of things. Because if you're like me, a lot of us in here, you've been burned by pastors. Some of you have been burned by, by me. But, but many of us have been burned by pastors in our past. So next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus is greater than your pastor because he won't do what pastors and spiritual leaders have done in our lives in a negative way. So we're going to focus on the negative next week. We'll get to the positive this week. First off, why Jesus is greater than our pastors because Jesus alone, according to this passage, Jesus alone is our total help. We're going to kind of start at the end of the passage that, that Birgit read and start moving our way backwards in time. But the, the reality is that when it comes to Jesus versus our pastor, Jesus wins on, on being our total help. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 15. He says this, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jump to the end of 16. So we go to him, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Chapter 5, verse 1, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to present the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are, in, are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for own sins, for his own sins, as well as the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. Jump to seven. Verse seven. During the days of, chapter five, verse seven. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and made once perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey. So when we go back to that graph and we look at this whole equation between us and God, when we look at Jesus, he is so superior to, than anyone else. But honestly, what we, when we think about our help, oftentimes we put someone else in that place. And, and a good pastor is not someone who's, actu- who's raising your dependence on him. A good pastor is someone who's raising your dependence on him. On Jesus. He's not someone who's, who's trying to raise your confidence and, and increase your confidence in, in their ability to counsel you through situations. A good pastor, at his best, is trying to raise your confidence in what Jesus can pull off. Now, we see in Scripture the role of a pastor is leading and shepherding his people for sure, but he's leading and, and, and shepherding his people to be deeper and more passionate and more stoked to follow Jesus, not his lead. Does that make sense? This passage, when he's talking about the fact that Jesus actually lifted up tears. Look, when you go through things, and, and I've had a chance to talk with so many of you, and I know that the, the, a lot of the struggles in your life, I know the, a lot of the, the stuff that, that's, that's painful, 
when those things happen, I have to tell you that the pastors at this church, we, we're crushed by those things. It's not just a matter-of-fact issue that you're going through something. It, it breaks our heart. When, when, when things happen to you physically, when things happen to your marriage, when things happen to your kids, when things happen to your boyfriend or girlfriend, and fr- those things are things that we like, ah, but you know what? I can't possibly relate to what Jesus feels with, with the same things. Like, I could pray for you, but there's totally things that are, are, are slipping through my fingers. I could visit you in the hospital, but there's people that I'm going to miss. That's going to be something that, if you're looking for someone for help, your pastor is a great leader, but the best thing your pastor can do is deepen your dependence upon Jesus, who is your total help. How big? He's your ultimate rescuer from sin. And that's something your pastor ain't ever able to do. Amen? Okay, so that, that's something that we see in this passage. He is our total help. Where does our help come from? Not our pastor, from Jesus. But not only that, Jesus alone also gives us total boldness. Total boldness. We're going to look at uh, verse 16 over the next, uh, this point and the next point, but just take a look at it. Because of all this, let us, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That word confidence there, it, it, just, it means not just confidence. Like I feel, I, feel fairly, I feel fairly solid about this. It's like bold, absolute boldness, confidence. And, and the crazy thing about this is that we, we know on a human level that there's people that we have no business talking to, right? People that are like, ooh. And we, we started thinking about that way back when we're like in kids in school. There's kids that are popular and we're not. Or, um, or, and then we get hired and, and maybe you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a business right now and you don't even know the CEO because that guy or that lady are way up here and you're just like way down here. And so we, we understand that there's people, like for me, like whenever I've met someone that I've like, I've always looked up to and, and kind of fanboyed over, I, get, I just become an idiot when I'm around that person. Have you ever met one of your, like a celebrity that you looked up to? Have you? Are you the same person? I'm not. Like, I, like seriously, I'm like, I, I'm talking to you right now fairly coherently. Fairly. And we're talking like, but I can't talk like this if there's someone that I've read, I've looked up to, I've watched their movies, whatever, then they're right there. And then I'm like, why? Why is that, why is that even a thing? Why? Because I know I'm a nobody. I'm just Errol. And you're like, oh, Errol, you're, no, I'm just Errol. And this person is like that. And so when I get around this person, I'm all of a sudden realizing I have no business talking with you because you're up here and I'm right here. And what we do is we adopt this really weird human thing and we just impose it right upon our relationship with God. I mean, if I'm looking at this celebrity on that level and I've got no business talking with them, when I'm talking with people about prayer, one of the things I hear often is, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to take this to God. Because I'm like, why don't you pray about that? Well, I don't know. I don't really want to take this to God. Why? Well, God's got more important things to worry about than my stuff. I mean, there's people like starving, calamities all around the world. The Backstreet Boys are getting reunited. Terrible, terrible things <laughs> that God has to worry about. And I, and who, who am I to go to God and bring this to him? Who are you? You're someone that Jesus died for. Like God gave his life 
for you. And according to the author of Hebrews, part of that purpose was so that you would have boldness to be able to boldly, not just like, okay, I'm going to come as reverently as possible. I'm going to come if I get my whole act together. I'm going to come if, I, if I've given up the addictions that I've had in my past, or if I'm super polished, or if I've attended church three weeks in a row, then I can boldly go. No, boldly go, that you have the ability to boldly go. And so when we go back to that, that graph that we're going to keep coming back to, let's put the pastor where he belongs, okay? Because Jesus is the high priest, the pastor is not the go-between. He's over in the us category. The scripture still points out that he's someone that is a shepherd, but this is the best thing a pastor could do. The best thing a pastor could do, the best thing I can do is this. I can recognize that I have a relationship with Jesus, the high priest, who's made a way to the heavenly father. He's forgiven my sins. When God sees me, your pastor, he sees Jesus's sacrifice. That's what he sees when he sees me. He sees perfection because Jesus has accomplished that for me. So my best thing is not to get you to depend on me because I've got this great connection with Jesus. The best thing that I could do is to encourage you to put your confidence in Jesus who's opened up a gateway to you and the Heavenly Father. That's the best thing I can do. That is the best thing I can do. The worst thing I can do is to up your dependence on me, is to up your confidence in me alone to the exception of God the Father that Jesus has pulled off. One of the things that, that I, I, um, I worry about as a pastor are times when, and we've seen this in other church circles, like when a pastor, like if he, if he dies or, or he fails and he gets fired or something, what happens to the people? We're going to talk about that a little bit next week about like what, what's happened even in our own state when, we've, when we looked at that. And the terrible thing is that the people start to wither away and fall simply because of the fact that this is not the equation that they were operating off of. Their boldness to approach God was never there. They had a boldness to communicate with their pastor, but not their God. And that's something that the author of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus has accomplished. Thirdly, Jesus alone gives you total access. Total access. How much access? Total. And we know that it's total because he gets specific on what we are boldly approaching. Look at the very beginning of, of verse 16. He says this, let us then approach what? God's throne. Okay. We have some friends that are from the UK and I appreciate their sensitivity to this because they understand thrones. For the rest of us American people, we have, we have, we have, we're 200 years of being over that concept, Right? We, we don't understand a monarchy. We're actually pretty ignorant to it, and we think that it's always a bad thing. But everyone around the world, like throughout human history, have found ways to have a throne that they could put someone on. Why? Because people desperately want to look to someone and know that they're going to be covered, that, they're, that they're, someone's in control, someone's in charge of the land. People are desperate for that. And, and so we, for, throughout history, we put human beings on that. And even, even if in the past 200 years we've been living in a republic, we still do that. Whatever elected official we have, we're like, oh, yes, oh, yes. It's goofy. But here's the thing. What the author of Hebrews is communicating is this. There's only one person who belongs on the throne, the ultimate throne, and that's God. And what we have access to is that space, that room. We've got access to the throne. But, but listen to the qualification of, of this throne. Is this a throne of wrath? Is it a throne of God's holiness that is going to damn us as soon as we get into his presence? 
Listen to what he says. Let us then approach God's throne of what? Of grace. What is God, how does God choose to exercise his power, his sovereignty, his ability to do whatever he wants to do? Throne, power, strength to express something that, to give you a gift you don't deserve. To give you a gift that you could never earn, that, that you can't be good enough for, righteous, holy enough for. God's throne What he is exercising his power to do as the sovereign God who can do whatever he wants to do is to give you a gift you can't get for yourself. And we have the audacity through Jesus to boldly approach that throne in prayer. That is what he's he's portraying. We we don't belong there, but, but, but we're there. When I was in high school, one of the things, one of the goofy things I, my friends and I liked to do when we were bored is to, here's like, um, we, I lived in the L.A. Strip, uh, the L.A. County, and there's Torrance, and I'm Melissa. Melissa's from Torrance, too. There's Torrance, and uh, then the really rich people lived up in Palos Verdes. Oh, yes. Palos Verdes, where we put our homes right on the cliffs so that we can watch them slide into the sea. <laughs> Palos Verdes. And so what we would do is we, at 17-ish years old, we would drive around, and we would just drive around, and we would look for these rich homes and with lots and lots and lots of cars out in front of them. Because if there was a rich home with tons and tons of cars out in front of it, we knew what that meant. Party! And what we would do is we would park our car far enough away from the home because there's no way that anyone would think that we had any right to be in that party with what I drove. And so I parked it far enough away that we would just walk and we just walk into the party. <laughs> and we just kind of like act as if like we belong. And the, and the game was go in there, don't get kicked out. And try to make friends with people so that you can get to a place of saying, can I, can I use your, can I make a phone call from your phone? Because kids back in those days, they didn't have cell phones. And so like, uh, we would just basically wait and we, I would walk in the house like, oh, hello. And just act as if we belong there. Oh, how are you doing? Yes. And we just walk around looking like we knew someone there. And then eventually we said, can we use your phone? Because the game ended when you were able to get to a phone and call your girlfriend and say, you have no idea where I am right now. <laughs> Now, the glee in that was the fact, I don't have any right to be there. I don't belong there. I, don't, I, I, I've got, I am in danger of, as soon as they know who I am, I'm kicked out, if not arrested, right? And so that, that's like the, the energy was, I don't belong here. I have no right to be here. And if they actually knew me, I'm gone. This is the amazing thing about the author of Hebrews. What he's saying is this, the throne of grace where God dwells, you, because of your actions and your sin, have no right to be there. You do not belong. But here's the crazy thing about God. He does know who you are. He knows everything you've done, and even things that your spouse doesn't know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friend, the things that they don't even know that you haven't even uttered because it's only in your thoughts. He knows those. He knows all the dirt, and yet he loves you, and he loves you more than anyone else. And his communication to you is, you don't have any right to be here except for the fact that through my son, he paid the ultimate cost to make you the guest of honor. Do you belong here? Not because of your stuff. You, don't belong, you should have parked your car 100,000 miles away. But because of Jesus, you fit right in. Because when God sees you, he sees his son and what his son accomplished for you. Jesus alone gives you total access. And this is our problem as humans 
Because if Jesus is alone gives us total access to God, that I could bring my, as an as a individual, as a, as a Christian person, not as a pastor, but as a Christian person, I could bring, because of Jesus, my request right to God. And instead, what we oftentimes do is this. I need to have a go-between. And so what I'm going to do is this. I, I want to talk to God, but I've done some really, really messed up stuff. And so... I need prayer for this, so I'm going to go and talk to my pastor and ask him to pray for me, to bring my request to God for me. Because again, who, who am I? Who am I? Like, I know what I've done. I know what I've done in my past. I know what I've done in my present. And like, I'm just too dirty for God. And so I need to have a pastor to pray for me. Now, Scripture does talk about talking to, 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 the, to righteous people, to have them pray for you, to seek the leadership of a church to pray over you when you're sick or other things. That's all legit. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're not letting that pastor serve as your high priest, bringing your prayers for you because you're not praying. You do that, and all of a sudden, you've got this, this distance between you and God. You've, you've, Jesus has done away with the high priest, but you've just set up a whole bunch of new ones. And some of us, we grew up in a tradition where it wasn't even living people. Like, we prayed to people that have been dead for hundreds of years. And, and when I've talked with, with friends of mine from, from different traditions where they've prayed to saints and said, look, you got to help me out. Because, again, I grew up as a Baptist. So I'm totally ignorant with, with regard to all this. I don't understand why you would pray to St. Jude or one of these other saints. Um, why? Help me, help me understand. And, and the best explanation I've heard, which I totally get, is... When I really seriously consider how sinful I am, when I'm sober about how messed up I've been in my life, and I think about how holy God is, I shouldn't have the right to talk to him. I need somebody who's walked a better life than I have, who's closer to God, because if I talk to someone who's closer to God, then maybe God will listen to me and he'll hear those prayers and those prayers will be something that, that, that the throne of grace will actually get a chance to, to receive. But we have to understand that when we do this, where's God gone? Where does our help come from? These people. Some of them aren't even living. And folks, you don't see that anywhere in the Bible. The author of Hebrews is communicating just the opposite. And just to, just to put a fine point on it, it would be similar to this. Again, whether this person is dead or not, that you're asking to do your praying for you because God might listen to them better than you. If I was a parent, I am a parent, but if I was a parent and I had a kid, let's just say I've got a kid in their 20s, and, and if, you're, if you're a teenager, just imagine that you're a parent. And, and, and you guys have got a kid that, that's gone off the rails. And, and the they, last thing that, they heard, that you heard from them was them telling you that they hate you, they can't stand you, everything about you is backwards, and they just can't wait to get away from the home. And so they bail, they go out, and they, they go off on their own life, and they've been, you haven't even heard bits and pieces from other people who tell you some of the, the messed up stuff that your kid's been into, but there's been no connection with your kid until until that one summer where they reconnected with you. They, they made a phone call, and you're just, as a parent, your heart's just like, it's been so long. Like, it's been so many years. Like, we've gone through holidays without this person, but now, but now we're going to have a chance to, and we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and, and like, we're going to get a chance to be together again as a family. We're in the adult years now, so we can go through this life as adult, being, having, having a relationship with our kid that we thought was long gone. 
But then you get a text two weeks before Thanksgiving from your kid. And your kid says, hey, I just, the closer we're getting to the holidays, the more uneasy I am about being at the family gathering because I realize how wrong I was when I did what I did and the things that I said to you, I can't get over that. But there's Eric. Like, you guys know Eric. Eric Eric from down the street, that kid, he made all the right decisions. In high school, when I was partying, doing stupid stuff, Eric was actually, he was studying. He got into a good college. And you guys know, you, you guys, you old people are all on Facebook. So yeah, you've, you've looked at Eric's life, and you see that it's actually decent, and he's doing good things, and you respect him. And so instead of me sitting at the table at Thanksgiving, I'm going to send Eric in my place. He's walked a better life than I, and you have a much more enjoyable time with someone who's made better decisions than me. And, and when Christmas rolls around, just again, this is no offense. This is for your benefit because I just feel so distant from you from what I've done. I'm going to send Eric, and I'm going to send him with presents for each and every one of you because I love you guys so much. Which parent's heart is warmed by that? What parent goes, oh, yes, finally. We get to be around a table with more perfect people. Praise the Lord. No. If anything, that parent's heart is broken because the thing that they want at the table is not Eric. They want their kid. They don't want a supplement for their kid. They want their kid. When we think about our relationship with God and bringing our prayers to him, people, we need to be a people who are not putting our prayers solely in the hands of a pastor or a saint that's been dead for hundreds of years. You won't find any Bible verse suggesting that we do either of those things, but that we, according to the author of Hebrews, have the ability to boldly access the throne of God. Nobody's like you and me, people with dirty past and dirty presence who are surrendering our hearts to Jesus. We have access. Catholic brothers and sisters, friends, no, no. Protestant, NBC, friends. No, no. There is no substitute for Jesus. Amen? He has made a way for you to access and have privilege that you have at your disposal. Now, if all that is true, what difference does that make in our life? What changes? Well, let's go right back to the very beginning. In the very beginning, it says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, let's just finish the sentence, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us say this together, hold firmly to the faith we profess. Hold firmly to the faith we profess. And the word hold firmly, firmly is krateo. Everyone say krateo. Krateo. And just go like this. Uh, okay, good. So five of you did that. Thank you. Um, krateo, it's, 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 the, it's a Greek word used 47 times in the New Testament. And the crazy thing about it is it's describing, it's, it's, it's the word for just, again, holding on to something tightly. It's the same word used when Jesus reached out to heal somebody, that he would take hold firmly and bring healing into that person. And so now the author of Hebrews is talking to a group of people who've been healed by Jesus spiritually and saying, now what you need to do, hold firmly. Hold firmly to the very Savior who's hold, holding firmly to you. Hold firmly and specifically to the teachings of Jesus. 
Hold to this. And if you do this, this impacts the way that you interact with God. So here's just two things I would encourage you to step into this week. Number one, don't replace Jesus with any other person, living or dead, as a go-between with God. Jesus has accomplished a go-between, and it's himself. He is the high priest. You are now able to access the throne room of God. You. So secondly, obediently approach God yourself with what? Okay, here's an epidemic that we have within the Christian church. Internationally, we don't. We don't. We don't pray. Because we're going to let the professional pray. Because our prayers don't sound that good. Or we're going to let our spouse pray because they're really the spiritual one in the family, not us. I mean, we're more of a quiet person. One of the craziest lines you're going to find in movies, it's a constant throughout movies, is there's someone who's down on their luck and everything's going wrong and you have them utter this phrase, God, I'm not much of a praying man. And then they pray. I would love it if this whole congregation started a sentence, God, I know I'm not much of a praying person. Up to this point, I've let my spouse do that. My more spiritual people in my family do that. My kids do that. My pastor do that. But I haven't done that because I feel awkward and out of place. But from this point on, I'm going to stutter my way into talking with you with boldness. When we get around the table at, at a meal, even a meal at Arby's, we're going to pray. And we're, we're just going to thank you for it. When, I, when, I'm, when I'm having a wonderful, amazing moment, I'm going to pray. When I'm, when I'm down on my luck and things are going awful, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to do that because you have given me access to do that. And I have the privilege to access the throne. And I haven't been doing that. I've been staying out because I thought I was disqualified, forgetting the fact that you are the one that qualified me through Jesus. Church, may we be a praying church. Men, women, and children. Accessing the throne that Jesus has given us access to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you actually motivate us to do the very thing that you have accomplished for us, which is taking advantage of the ability to go before you. Lord, I thank you that in spite of the fact um, you have made provision for spiritual leaders and pastors in our life, and that's, that's a blessing, God, that they're not the only people that we have to look to and, and certainly not the access point to you. Lord Jesus, you are the one who accomplished that on your cross. Lord, I pray that you convict us of our apathy and our complacency and you motivate us into a passion. That we could be a people that are walking with the levity and the liberty that comes from the fact that we have not declared independence from you, but dependence on you that's led to independence from sin, independence from hopelessness. That God, you are our ultimate help. Lord, we rely on ourselves and other human beings so much because we can see them. Lord Jesus, become real in our everyday life, in our Mondays, in our Tuesdays, in our Wednesdays, Wednesdays and throughout the rest of the week. In our victories and our struggles and the pain and the anxiety that we're currently walking in right now. And we will give you the thanks and you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.